Welcome back. You're listening to another episode of The Freak Show where it's not scripted. There's no list. Well, there might be a list sometimes, but today there's no list and there's much to talk about somewhat. We'll figure it out. So I recently uh, confronted vegans on a topic that I thought was kind of interesting. And I thought that there was something there to be talked about. There appears to be this almost push or belief or advocate advocation for or against, I guess, meat eaters, but for animals, that animals have the same rights as humans. That's absurd. At least I think so. So they, they think that these animals, that if we kill them, we are sinful and immoral. And that they should have the same rights as humans. That it's comparable to slaves and to... That it's comparable to women's rights. I don't see how any of that fits. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to see if that really makes any sense. And then we'll probably talk a little bit more of our childhood and how it messed up our adult lives. Just because that's an interesting topic. And I think there's always something to learn there that applies to our day-to-day that helps us grow. When we have understanding, we gain self-confidence and self-esteem. That's important. That's how we get through life and how we uh, learn to become who we're supposed to be, not wondering if we're doing it right. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But first, as always, let's start the show. So, vegans, like, what what gives? Why do those views of this really intense diet of only vegetables and non-meat byproduct foods have to be pushed so to an extent where there's a belief system behind it? They say it's not a religion, not a culture, cultural religion or, or whatever, but it is. Because as soon as you have a belief attached to it, that becomes the definition of what a religious, you know, concept is. At least I think so. By the government, it means uh, that there's a God involved. Well, they believe in God. They believe that God's creatures are meant not to be harmed. Well, it's no different than the monks. But why do they have it so uh, conflicted and backwards? The monks just live in peace. As far as I know, they're, they're not going out preaching to everybody that if you live this way, you're sinful. That, to me, is culture. That is uh, a cultural bias of, um, you know, especially America, because that's where I'm from, so that's who I can speak of. That seems to be a cultural norm, which doesn't make much sense to me. So why does this make a difference? Why does this make, you know, why does it matter? Why would I even put up with somebody and even engage in an erotic conversation that I know has no merit to it? Because that's what I did. You know, I engage and I go, why, why put up with this nonsense? Why can't you just eat vegetables and be happy? 
Why do you have to advocate for the animals? Well, I understand there's bad practices. Some of these animals are tortured immensely and, and they're not killed in, in a humane manner. And I think that's agreed on the America, uh, well, America and on the uh, corporations that mass produce food. I think it's horrible. And it's proven that animals that live in better environments yield better meat. Much like in the Bible, it says that if, you know, a tree bears good fruit, if you do it right or something. I don't have it right in front of me, so don't quote me on it. But, you know, a tree that bears bad fruit, don't eat from it. Right? So, like I said, I understand that animals are treated inhumanely. Some of them are treated way worse than what they should be. The one area of animals that I agree with that I think that should be implemented is that our pets, dogs, maybe not cats, because cats are a little different, but dogs especially should be treated a little bit more uh, because they are the ones that have the uh, breed restrictions, especially with insurance. And what I think is that these animals should be able to be non-ridiculed, non-criticized, uh, by default, because of their breed, they should have to build a rap sheet, much like anybody else. And that's the only extent to where that should be the, the level of the law there. See, animals are beneath us. And that is not a horrible thing to say. To say that I'm more superior than an animal is a fact. It's a truth. And it's not an ignorant statement at that. And that's what makes it different. Now... Some of these vegans want to have the animals with the same rights as us. That we shouldn't be able to kill them. That'd be murder. But it's been that way probably since Adam and Eve. So how do you change something that it has always been, always been and what is? It's the way it is. And the way it ought to be sound, is wishful thinking. It sounds great, but it doesn't mean that it is. So how do we change that? What do we do about that? You know, like, I guess we could just kind of advocate for it. I mean, I, I don't know. How does the vegan, you know, the, the vegan community, how do they make any changes on that? You're going to tell over 98% of the world, hey, you're doing it wrong. When it's the way it's always been. And who's to say that God, Jesus was wrong, or God is wrong, and that we can't eat meat? There's design flaws on half of these animals that make them prey or predator. That's common sense. You don't even need Darwin for that one. So you have, uh, you have wolves that have sharp claws, sharp teeth, teeth that can shred flesh very easily. Very little effort on their part. They can eat up to 20 pounds in a meal and not even bat an eye. They don't even think about it. And then you got rabbits. Rabbits are very well at blending in with their environment until they go to run. As soon as they go to run, they have a white, fluffy target on their ass. So do deer. Especially white-tailed deer. White-tailed deer? Bye. Uh... Cows are slow. Pigs are slow. There's a reason why there's a livestock. There's a difference. 
in those animals and those creatures than there are in other mammals. Some are meant to be eaten, and the ones that are meant to be eaten are grass eaters, not the other meat eaters, not the predators. That's why we don't eat those. So there is a hierarchy of dominance on these animals based on design. So how do you interpret and say that Jesus was wrong? Or if he does say you can eat meat, he's wrong. And that's an ideologic concept. It doesn't make any sense. How is the creator of the world wrong? Or the son that he sent wrong? And most likely, they, he ate meat. Who knows if God ate meat? Where do you think all this stuff came from? I don't imagine that God just kind of said, here, wing it. And that was how it was created. He might have. He could have said, and let there be planets. And just let them do their own thing. And this is how we happen to come out. But I think there's a consciousness there. I don't think he was that dim-witted. I think he literally had a design and plan in place. And it all had to start out a certain way. You know, we have to take out the bias of our research. Our emotions when we try to come up with a belief in concept because if it's not built on a solid foundation it falls it sinks through and i see this happen a lot and i see it happen more often than none and that's what's interesting uh we'll we'll build beliefs on faith basically just believe in it just because you don't have to have any proof you don't have to have any solid inquiries you don't have to have any solid facts foundations just believe and again we fall into the trap of wishful thinking because not everybody comprehends this right away it takes time it takes a relationship and that's what's difficult right so what do we do how do we counter this what do we act like what do we ask what do we ask for if everything is mostly wishful thinking dear lord please put food in my stomach Okay, but does the Lord physically go and do that? Or do you find the drive and the will to go get the food and put it there? You know, I watched a, a TV show the other day, and some really bad stuff happened. And they said, why did God let this happen? And, and the response was, this wasn't God's doing. There's a free will. See, God supports us for everything that we do. Not everything that we wish for. Does that make sense? I mean, that might be a little confusing. Because uh, I haven't really thought that through as far as how the phrasing should go and how solid that could be. But there's a lot of wishful thinking. And God doesn't support that. We need to take action and, and create works. By that, he supports us. And we're supposed to use his wisdom and have him in mind when we do things. Does that make sense? Hopefully, maybe. See, when you're given, when you're blessed with the gift of discernment or the gift to comprehend, we can then identify the things that are masks, that are not necessarily as true as they would seem. One of those things is when you go to church and someone appears super nice, and maybe they are, but there's always a hidden motive. Or maybe there is. In my case, 
the the reference the thing I'm referencing there is. But it's not always true. And some people really are good. They just act and behave a different way because they believe that's the way to do it. So very similar to talking about vegans, to talking about the behavior of religious people at church or anywhere for that matter. It's, it's odd how there's a similarity that if you believe in something so hardly that you want to go and spread the word. Much like the Christians do, much like the, you know, the Muslims and all the other religions, they, they want to share it because they believe it's so great. The same can also be said for the people that want to bring others down. You also want to share that. Mostly because you're looking for an answer or solution for someone else to take that burden off of you. Which is why people turn to religion. To pick up a concept higher than themselves. A purpose, a meaning that is greater than them and to give excuse for any uh, wrongdoings or any issues in their personal life. So they can write it off. Oh, I didn't get that job because God didn't want me to have it. Maybe you weren't qualified for that job. Maybe that's it. Maybe there's someone more qualified. And that doesn't mean God didn't want you to have it. God doesn't care where you are. He'll support you wherever you are. Like, he'll support you wherever you're going to go, wherever you're going to be. He'll support you in the present, in the past. And he's not conditional. If, you, if, he, if you've accepted him into your life, it's a one and done. There's no going back. He doesn't give up on you either. He doesn't let you just go into turmoil without his knowledge. There's always a way to gain it. So that's what's different about uh, this than, than, I guess, the perception that we've been led to have. So what happens is, is if we build a belief or a concept on a foundation that isn't sound, what ends up happening is we become more complacent. Maybe that's the right word. Maybe not. Maybe we develop an ideologue that is just, how do you describe this? You end up building a belief on a foundation that isn't sound and you start becoming neurotic. That's the way to say it. It's insanity. Neuroticism. It's a very distorted behavior and a, a cognitive distortion in that. That makes it very hard to see reality for what it is. Now, I agree. Like I said, some of the things that happen with these animals needs to change. I don't disagree with that. There's some very bad practices, and yeah, it might cost a little more, or maybe you have to reduce a bit. Maybe you have to reduce the amount of meat that you put out there. I'm fine with that. I mean, I don't eat meat that much compared I probably eat, let's see, a piece of chicken once a day. And that's a piece. That's, that's not like a whole chicken a day. I don't need a whole pig a day. I don't need a whole cow a day. So maybe we can reduce the cost, reduce the pain and suffering, have things in better conditions. I don't disagree with that. There is a circle of life, and for livestock, that is part of it. It's either us or the wolves. You know, there's a reason why we have hunting. There's a reason why we have 
things in place to keep population under control. Because if these animals go rampant, that's more people that die. Someone gave the analogy, if you were attacked by a bear, who would you rather shoot? The person or the bear? If they're both on the same plane as value. The bear is just as valuable as the human. Well, the human by design is a superior being. We're given the ability to talk, communicate, thought process, uh, have thumbs. Whereas animals are very minimal, very primal in their communication. They're not as linguistic as us. They're not as developing as creative. They don't even have the capacity or the ability. They don't comprehend things the same way we do. So it's not an ignorant statement by saying we are the superior design. So I want to hear your thoughts on that. Let me know what you think. And we'll pick this discussion up later and see where it goes. So I want to talk about our adult lives, how we messed it up or how others messed it up and how it got messed up and just where it went wrong. Where did it go wrong for us? Typically, you think of people that have a crappy lifestyle. You think that they had a terrible lifehood, uh, childhood. They had a terrible background, uh, abusive parents. Things were going wrong. Things were going bad. And, and it was just a ripple effect throughout most of their life. But what happens to the people that had more structure, too much structure, too many things going on at one time uh, that they had no control of? And, and that's inconsistencies that can arise. Okay, so Piaget, Erickson, Freud, uh, Vygotsky, trying to think of who else, all have these models for our lifespan development. They all have something slightly different. Freud's is a bit loopy and possibly he was a child molester. We don't know. But he describes that child development was through the psychosexual developmental scale that basically it's based on our uh, sensors of pleasure. Starts with the head and face and mouth. That's why as kids we put things in our mouths because it's, it's sensational. And, but he believes it's a sexual thing. Then it goes all the way down to our butt, then to our genitals, and so on. Now, throughout these developments of years, like from 2 to 7 or 7 to 10, that's when those changes happen. He thinks that girls have penis envy at 7. Like, the fuck, dude? <laughs> Who did you observe? But no, he, he justifies it by saying that girls envy it, and that's why they become attached to their fathers. Eh, possible, maybe. I think that's kind of backwards, to be honest. And I don't think that's observable in every child. I don't think it's observable in everybody. So Erickson says that between those ages, I mean, obviously it's not what Freud said, but he believes in those ages are pivotal to a uh, development that we're going to be become in our future adult selves. That if we're not allowed to create in, in those moments and be creative, that we will be insecure, have a low self-esteem, not fit in socially, and just have a very hard life compared to somebody else. Now, Piaget says from two to four is when that's a pivotal time. That that is when insecurity develops. 
that between those ages, we need to be allowed to create, not put down, that if we're made fun of or laughed at or embarrassed, that that can be very detrimental to our development for the next 10 to 15 years. However, that's to say that you can comprehend it at that age. These aren't exact ages. So if the mind has matured properly or to that point at that age, then it would make sense. Perhaps, perhaps it hasn't happened until maybe four or five, which then lines up with Vygotsky and Freud. So it's a very interesting development that uh, from those ages, if you are supposed to conform, sometimes this means like, let's just say from a religious perspective, you have a really religious family, a really religious uh, or mother or father. That comprehension, you know, to of, of what they comprehend to a child is much different. Oh, don't do that. That is sinful. God will send you to hell. Well, at three or four years old, holy shit, what do you, what, what's the perception of that from a child, you know, from the child? The child's probably going, damn, I'm scared right now. Uh, thanks, mom. Okay, I'm going to be scared the rest of my life. Let's well, not to mention at 13 and 15, a lot of these churches and a lot of these schools like to do this whole, this abstinence. And they make you sign a piece of paper. They shame you before you've even experienced sexual desires or pleasures. So then going into a sexual experience, you're more or less feeling moral or immoral about it. When the real concept is whatever happens in that bedroom is entirely up to you. No matter what age or what time you decide to do it. Now, there are implications if you're an adult with a child. That is much different. And I frown upon anybody that does that. But when you're in high school with another high school, like same age, who cares? When you're an adult, who cares? By the time you get to marriage, you should not feel insecure in the bed. If that makes sense. And I, I'm not taking, saying that from a standpoint of any perversion or any uh, misdirection of, of what it should be. Hopefully this makes sense. That we are, we are sometimes made fun of or put down for our, uh, ourselves, our desires. And that can lead to insecurity, no matter what age, really. By 25, we're technically done maturing. That is when we have figured everything out and we start seeing things more like an adult because our brain physically stops growing at that point, stops maturing. That makes a huge difference. So even at 18, we're not thinking of the consequences. We still have the I'm Superman complex because we're not thinking about how bad it hurts. Unless we've experienced it, then we kind of know. That's why you slap your hand on the kit on it, on it, slap your kid on the hand when they're about to pull the pan, hot pan of water off the stove or hot anything, really. Because you want to associate that action with pain, not no, not just no, or any other, you know, thing for that matter. It's a hard thing to do as a parent, I'm sure. I, I think we are seeing a lot of kids now that are not being disciplined well enough. 
They're given phones instead because then the parents don't have to discipline. Society can t pick up the slack and raise your kids. Social media can raise your children. And then you wonder why they turned out so horrible and then you take the guilt and the shame for it. Where did I go wrong? God, what happened? How did my kid turn out like this? I wasn't a bad parent. They were good kids. It's a very misleading uh, conception. And once again, we're, we're falling into the same trap that not only are we focused on the wrong things, but we've developed a belief system that is entirely neurotic. Kids shouldn't be having cell phones at 13 in those pivotal years of development because they're seeking approval, guidance, discipline, whether, whether they know it or not. And in those ages, they're getting it from today. They're getting it from social media before it used to be from their peers in person. We didn't used to be able to just, you know, write stuff behind each other's backs. Well, I guess you did. I get in the bathroom stalls, but today it probably isn't even happening anymore. Half of everybody doesn't even know what a Sharpie is. It used to be very popular. But parents are giving their kids these devices even younger now because they're hand-me-downs. Because the cell phone companies are no longer buying them back. What a great ploy that the marketing team had for selling these phones. We'll cancel out contracts. No longer does someone have to pay $200 and get a free upgrade every two years. We'll just make them buy a new phone every year for $1,000. The cost of a laptop. The cost of two, three Xboxes. For a cell phone, a mobile device in your pocket. That we hardly even use as a phone anymore. Because we have access to data. The internet. And we don't we don't even really call on the phone anymore because the text is so much easier and antisocial that we can isolate ourselves. Now, when we go through a diagnosis of whether or not someone has histrionic personality disorder or depressive and and I'm saying this wrong, or depression or any other kind of disorder, antisocial disorder. Now we have people getting misdiagnosed with bipolar and other disorders and other mental illnesses that are happening more than they ever has before. More people are getting put on medication, which is great for the medical uh, pharmacists and the doctors making all this money because they just quickly subscribe medications. People are going to psychiatrists instead of psychologists because they want medicine because it'll numb them. It'll numb the pain. Pain pushes you further. Dr. Phil was saying that if you're standing out, he was talking about a story of himself, and this was on uh, the episode yesterday, and I thought it was pretty great. But he talks about if you were standing on the hot concrete, and, and he's talking about Texas where it's really hot. And I've, I've had this experience where I burnt my feet. But if you're standing on the hot concrete, then you're not just going to stand there and melt because your feet will blister. You're going to move. You're going to move forward. That's what pain does. Pain pushes us further, pushes us forward. And that's something that's lacking from today. No longer is anyone dealing with pain. It's instant gratification. Because why do I want to put up with something that puts me down or hurts me or makes me feel sad? That's a part of life. Get over it. 
So it was an interesting story, and I, I related to it because obviously I had uh, chased after some what I thought was male thieves. Funny story, they weren't. Uh, and I burnt my feet, and I ran across the street in five seconds. I didn't even stop for a second. And I had blistered feet for over two weeks, and I couldn't walk. Well, I couldn't walk for a couple of days, and then when I did walk, it really hurt. It was a really hard time. But yeah, I feel horrible. It, it was bad. You know, but pain makes you move forward. Pain makes, pushes you to, to move forward because you want to get out of that pain, or you want to become stronger than it. That's why we have to put up with some of the rejection, some of the negativity, but we got to see it as feedback. And when our parents treat us like shit at four or five, or even seven, nine, ten, thirteen, when we have those traumatic events, then it makes it even harder to comprehend that those things that happen to us are constructive feedback and not just a put down. It's harder when it comes from the people that love you. It is much harder to accept that from the people that love you because you are vulnerable to them and you should be able to. It's a very hard argument that I have with a few folk, but you should be able to be vulnerable with your family. But again, safe people, safe boundaries. So keep that in mind. It's okay to have these boundaries on certain people that are meant, that are there to kind of hurt you. And it sucks because they shouldn't be able to hurt you. It's, it's lame in my opinion. You know that these people that love you can hurt you. Even from a young age. I'm going to eventually do a podcast on the timeline of my events and leading up to where I am now, because I think it's kind of interesting because I've turned my life around. Now it's taken me a long time to get there and it's taken me even longer because I messed it up in the beginning. I don't blame anybody because it's still responsibility for myself. I got to take responsibility for my actions as much as you got to take responsibility for yours. Because ultimately whose life is it? No one else controls anything else around you. You can control everything. You can either be in the situation or be out of the situation. You can either go get that job or not get the job or even try. That's the difference. We take responsibility for our actions. No one else is at fault. But that is what happens with addicts. Someone else is at fault for why they turn to drugs or a situation that happened. So I'm going to do a timeline. And I'm going to talk about my events from when I started out as a child to when I became an adult. And I tell you, it's very interesting because I went through a lot of traumatic events. And just so you know, just so you have an idea of what a traumatic event kind of is, it doesn't always mean it's a negative uh, like thing. doesn't mean I was always beat. doesn't mean that you're always um, slapped in the face by your parent. doesn't mean that you were... Uh, thrown out on the street and homeless. That is not always a traumatic event. Now, it is a traumatic event, but it doesn't always imply the traumatic event. So another example of a traumatic event that isn't traumatic in, in uh, realistic in terminology, I guess, is this. Just moving. Just growing up at 10, like say you're 10, 11 years old and you move homes. That's traumatic, but you, especially if you've lived in the same home the whole time. I've moved around four or five times. That's a very different feeling. You're not no longer in the same bed, in the same home, in the same security. 
I've, I've witnessed things that my father has done to my mother. Very bad things. That was a bit of a side tangent there, but the traumas are real. So even for a 10, 11 year old moving a home, that is a real trauma for them. It's something big. And it's not negative. It's not bad. It doesn't mean that there's going to be any psychological developments or issues from that. Because that would be kind of ludicrous. It just means that there are things out there that are worse than what it appears. So that's all I have for today. I want to invite you to check out my uh, eBay store at store.ebay.com forward slash Adams Fine. And check out my other podcasts on Anchor, uh, which I'm going to be probably adding some different content. Most likely the same stuff you're hearing here on SoundCloud or on iTunes. But uh, Anchor has a lot new features, so I might be switching over to that. We'll see. I'll still be posting on SoundCloud most likely, but Anchor will be my hosting podcast uh, source for a while. I think we will see. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and I hope to hear from you. I want to know more of what you think and I want to answer the questions that you have. So get a hold of me any way you can. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening today. This is Adam signing off.
Kaya Jinny. 